Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppress. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. People, what's happening and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting you with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Press. We give insight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we pull back the curtain on the legacy of Henrietta Lacks and much, much more. Press was popping, baby. Man, Jules, it was good, man. Uh, chopping it up with you and the fellas last night, man, for Steve's birthday, bro. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We had a great time yesterday, man. Good food, man. Good conversations, man. Just overall, just bring me back to days we used to do it, man, and and just enjoy each other's company, just laughing and kicking and eating. And Steve, he had a, he had a great time too for his B day. And we were socially distanced for the audience, just in case you know, everybody wants. To, yes, to very, very socially distanced. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Chris. <laughs> but I will say this, man. It's been it was cool, man. I hadn't basically, man. I hadn't seen a lot of you guys, man, in a long time. <laughs> oh man, it was yeah, it was refreshing, man. With with a dub and with you and like you said, man, we wanted to just do a little something, man. You know, things are kind of opening up slowly but surely, and just want to while maintaining social distancing, of course, a uh, uh, proper protocol and stuff. But I was having a good time, man. We, I think everybody needed, man. And we've been cooped up in the house, just working and yep. doing other thing, being isolated. I think it was it was a good night yesterday, man. I'm telling you, like I hadn't laughed that that much in a while, man. It was good times, real good times. Your your partner, man, he was funny. He was cracking me up. Oh, dude, that dude there, man, bull, man, that that man right there, he had me rolling. We'd be at work. I, uh-huh. I just sometimes on some of those situations we go on to some of them calls. I had to walk out the room because 
<laughs> I'm trying to keep a straight face, but man, he be doing things and I'm just, <laughs> we get kicked out. Of, we get kicked out of one person's house, man. <laughs> what happened? Because she, th- well, you know, her son had a little episode. Okay. And I'm pretty much like to talk and kind of handle things. Now, boy, my partner, <laughs> he like to stand there just in case stuff pops off. He, okay. That's, that's what he like to do. Okay, so he's like that guy. He's ready for something to kick off. Oh, man, man, always. Always. Okay. I love it, brother. <laughs> always. <laughs> he make my job easier. So they try, the people try talking to him. He, he does not respond. He's just standing there looking at him. Okay. But all along, he's not being mean and like or, 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 or malicious. It was just he messing with him. And <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to conduct my interview with the with the lady, with the mother, uh-huh. and looking at him, I'm I'm hearing. The other family members talking to him, but he's not responding. I'm trying to keep a straight face. And she was like, oh, you think this is funny and stuff? You guys can get out of here. And, and take oh, your, no. And take your crazy partner with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, my God. But at the end, at the end, we start, you know, started talking and stuff like that. And we smoothed things out. We took care of it, man. Oh, man. I, I bet that lady was like, what the hell's going on with this boy over here? Why he ain't speaking? <laughs> Oh man, I haven't, <laughs> laughed, I haven't laughed that hard. Good lord! Oh man, but I'm sure stuff like that has to break up the toughness and the monotony of the job. You know? What yeah, I mean? yeah. Sometimes a good man, a good laughter, a good joke, or something kind of because sometimes some of the situations be so stressful and just just down. You know, just a little, just a little humor can kind of ease ease the tension. Depending on the situation, but yeah, you, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, no, yeah, but it's in the situation, right, right, not for everything now. You yeah. can't sit up there, you know, in front of a body and start cracking jokes, nah, nah, nah. right, right, no, no, depending on the situation. No, the son just had a little episode, you know, he wasn't eating his food, so it wasn't, you know, that serious, okay. Yeah. Well, that brings me to uh, some of the mailback questions that we have for the week, so that actually uh-huh. leads us into one of them where we had someone that wanted to know why you wanted to become a cop, so you oh, want to tell man. us that story. Oh man, real quick. It's funny because when I got this this question here uh, uh, by Stacy, you know, real quick, I have a lieutenant and every time we get a new officer coming to the watch, he have them come up to the front, address the class and ask that same question. Why did you become an officer? So they give, a, you know, whatever their reason and stuff. So uh, real simple for me, why become a police officer? Well, you know what? The pay is good. I mean, it could be better, but the pay is good. You can you can survive. You can support your family yourself off the salary you get. Benefits, of course, promotions, and and you get a pension. So those things, of course, real important reason. Just simply, just to help people. Simply, just to help. I grew up in the South Side of Chicago in Inglewood neighborhood, and I've you know, unfortunately, it's a bittersweet of growing up in an environment where. You see things at an early age. You see, you see gangs, you see drugs, you see shootings, you see killings, you see robberies, you see all these different things. And I've been exposed to a lot of many different things, but that kind of helps me with emphasizing, sympathizing with a lot of situations I go into. I joined the department because I felt who else better could understand and work in these environments but the person who grew up in these type of environments. Mm. That's the main reason. And also to serve and to protect, you know, the things happen to people. And and it feels good to 
you get the information and then you send it out to your coworkers and detectives and the, and the whole department and to help solve and bring justice for these people. You know, that's that's pretty much why 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 it joined. Man, that's dope, man. And, and to be honest, uh, I, I love that the the part where you talked about your upbringing and kind of what you saw as a kid and that, a lot mm-hmm. of the things that we saw coming up and the fact that you wanted to be um, a solution to some of those problems. And also, too, in your own way, you bring a unique perspective to the job. Right. And I think that that's really important, especially because yes, these are the type of people that you're going to probably be running into when you're on calls. Right. I don't knock anybody, you know, a lot of officers come from the suburbs and different areas and stuff like that. And they come in these neighborhoods trying to patrol and serve the community. And that's fine. I'm not knocking them. But sometimes it's hard to relate because they, some don't understand. You know, they have to be in it, work the job for years and years to kind of understand people and stuff. So coming in, I think I had a good start because of the upbringing and because I can come in and kind of go through things and talk to people that I can relate and they can re- I can relate for their situations and stuff. So, yeah. So, yeah, man, that's 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 the reason why. Well, that's dope. And that was a great question by uh, Stacey James. Thank you, Stacey. So the next question was from Darius Frierson. He wanted to basically know from both of us, what song gets us pumped up for our workouts? So Darius said he could tell from the uh, show that the Jules is in good shape, works out. And then he mentioned that, you know, that I run and stuff. So, yeah, he wanted to know uh, what what song gets you going for your workout. You want to go first? Oh, yes, sir. It's an easy one. When I first started hitting the iron, my album was DMX, Dark as Hell is Hot, his first album. Ooh-wee. But now it's funny. I get up and I listen to No More Pain by Tupac. Oh, okay. But see, when I go to the gym and stuff, I don't listen to any music. You don't? Mm-mm. I, I, you know, I, I listen to whatever they playing in, in, in the, in the, at the gym. But for the most part, I get up, I get pumped off, no more paying by Tupac. You know, I use that to get ready. And then I just go and just hit and just hit it. That was off that all eyes on me, wasn't it? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. So, man, Big D, listen to listen to that Pac No More Pain. Oh, I guarantee you, man, you'll be you'll be going around slapping people. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> but slap the waist, D. Big D slap the waist. Don't slap people. When would you get the charge now? Right, exactly. We we'll, won't we'll want to see Officer Jules have to come holler at you, man, at the oh, Planet man. Fitness. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Planet Fitness. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Darius, mine is uh, Till I Collapse uh, with Eminem. Good one. It's funny that you said, uh, Jules, that you don't listen to music during your workout. I don't either, man. I What I do is... That's always the last song that I'll have playing, like in the car on my way into the gym. I do it mm-hmm. every time. Exactly gets me in that mindset. But when I'm in the actual gym, I'm actually listening to podcasts and listening to stuff that that you probably would be like, "Man, what what, what is this guy listening to?" So sometimes I use that time in the gym to hit the iron, right? But then also I'm like trying to do stuff to kind of like I guess learn and kind of broaden my horizons a little bit. So I don't actually listen to music anymore during the workout. So it's always other stuff like podcasts or whatever. But Till I Collapse, Eminem, that song's the shit. He goes off on that song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's a good one. Praise, that's a, that's a good one, man. Now, you know what? I'm going to add that to No More Pain because that, hey, he he flowing on that, man. Bro, yeah. He flowing. I'm going to tell a quick story to you, Jules. So when I ran my first half marathon, 
This was oof, 2018. By that point, bro, in that 13-mile race, your body and your mind and everything is just telling you to stop, to quit, because everything hurts, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that last quarter mile of that race, this song came on, combined with this song coming on, and then you got the people on the side that's like, you got it, you go, 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 right? That type of shit, man, I fucking finished that damn race with a fucking passion, bro. Like, I was like, that song came on at the right time. I love it because it's just like, it don't matter if it's a workout, a challenge, or whatever. In that situation where Eminem just like raps on that beat, I'm like, you could do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, that's a good one. I like that one. Yeah, I'm gonna so- Matter of fact, I'm going to listen to it when we get off here. There you go, right? That's, that's <laughs> a classic. All right. So, Jules, the last question came from Tim Lane. He wanted to know, how do we feel about Deion Sanders going to Jackson State to coach? Excellent. Hey, Prez, you know me about Neon Dion, a.k.a. Primetime. <laughs> oh, man, what can we say, man? Prime done it all, man. I mean, two-time Super Bowl champ. I mean, Pro Bowls, first-round pick. I mean, he's a student of the game. I mean, he'd been coaching before. His Prime Prep Academy, that was a couple of years in other type of offensive coordinated positions. You know the game. I mean, 53 interceptions in total. Dudes and bees into to incorporate and all that and put it his mind on the field and instill into his players. I think he's gonna be good. I mean, he 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 what he won his first game. Yeah, they beat the, the shit out of that team. Yeah, yeah. Now the afterwards, I don't know what was going on, but okay. But he blew he blew out <laughs> talking about his uh his stuff getting took. So he learned it real quick. You better lock your offices, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I thought it's uh man, I thought it was no brainer. I mean, why not? Why not? Yeah, I, I think, too, so we talked about this in the past on the show about the HBCUs and the, the importance mm-hmm. of individuals looking at those schools, supporting those schools, and representing those schools. So, Tim, to answer your question, I thought this was phenomenal for someone with Dion's pedigree, all the stuff that, that Jules mentioned. When you got a guy like that, with that background, a Hall of Fame NFL football player, mm-hmm. that he's going to come to an HBCU school like this. He's put this school back on the map. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the school that Walter Payton played at, and it was floundering. By Dion coming here, they said that this school valuated went up by millions just with the promotional value of having this guy wearing Jackson State gear, right? You also got to mm-hmm. think about the fact that Dion has an endorsement deal with Under Armour. So that's bringing money into this program. The kids that right. are going to play on this team now are going to get more exposure. So it's going to help them to change their lives. Maybe even get a chance to play at the NFL or something, right? This was a hell of a move, bro. Hell of a move. Oh, man, I like it. And wait to see what happens for the season, you know? Yeah, because they're already wanting to, like you mentioned. It seems like he's going to bring a little nice little culture to them because he he kind of set the tone in the, in the beginning when he first got hired. He basically said that if people were committed, then he said, this ain't the place for you to come and play. As he said, there ain't going to be no part of anybody in this program that's not committed because he's saying you're going to stick out like a donkey at a dog show. <laughs> <laughs> the heck. You know, and that's, and that's big. And you know, who else can say that? But yeah, I mean, two times, I mean, he played baseball and football at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. so his work ethic is roof and he just wants you to come in and bring your a game every day. I mean, that's what you're there for really. So press I'm with you, man. I, I think this is phenomenal. Just let's also just quickly talk about the fact of, when he got hired, he talked about the playing field that those players had to play on was horrible. And he said it was unacceptable. Okay. So right there, 
I looked at a guy like Dion and said, I'm going to take this challenge because this is going to be easy. I want our audience to realize him coaching football at an HBCU school, he's going to face a lot of challenges and hurdles, but it's something that he seems like he's ready to take on. It's going to open a lot of doors up, not only for the students, but the players and the university as a whole. And I think that that's the bigger piece of the puzzle here for me is the fact that mm-hmm. when you see somebody like Deion Sanders doing this, what's going to stop other prominent people from going to an HBCU and trying to build something? And I think that that's going to be really important because True. we always talk about on the show, fuck a seat at the table, create your own table, go build your own table. And I really like the fact that Deion said, let's do that here at Jackson State. They're going to build their own table. Exactly. Like you said, we've been talking about this on the pod. Build your own table. And that's what Dion doing. Like, And to piggyback what you're saying, to have other people just following his footsteps and put their own spin to it. This is the start of something beautiful here. Yeah. So I can't wait to see, man, how this all shapes out. Mm-hmm. But, man, Dion, good luck for you to uh, to go out there to Jackson State. And, man, we wish you all the luck, brother. All the luck. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, Jules, before we get into the nuts and bolts of talking about the legacy of Henrietta Lacks on the episode, I wanted to talk to you about just a couple of this newsworthy things that I thought were important from the week. The first one, the video that surfaced with Cam Newton getting heckled at his football camp. Did Mm. you see that shit? And then what are your thoughts? Because I have a lot Uh, of them. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Good. I'll go. Let me roll first. Because you sound like you're ready, man. sound like you're ready. I didn't like it. I didn't like it because high school kid coming in on Cam Newton training camp. And then you put on, you know, this is premeditated because it was, it was videotaped and him heckling walking past saying you're a free agent. Dude, come on. What, what, what was that worth? Why would you, you at this man's training facility, his camp, you in his camp, you in his camp, and you, you clowning the dude that you're, you in the camp that he sponsored. He didn't have to do it. Where are you in the society prayers where kids, Come on now, because you're still a kid. Right. And you talking crap to an adult, not disrespecting them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yes, yes. I did not like that. And, well, and you it know, wasn't a good look. No, it wasn't. And then I wished Cam handled it a little different. Me, I would have turned, looked at him. You can leave. If I'm such a goddamn free agent and no good here, then you can leave. <laughs> But he had, you know, you know, he went, he kind of went toe to toe with him, say, you know, he's rich and stuff. And then he went to, man, where's your, where's your father? Let me talk to your father, which, okay. Yeah, exactly. How my dick is. Yeah. Listen, you and your son, you can leave. (laughs) So I, I, man, Perez, I did not like that, man. Come on. He's a brother. He's a, he's a, he's a hall of fame quarterback. He'll be a hall of fame quarterback and stuff. And it wasn't a good look. And, you know, I know he apologized and stuff, but it shouldn't have been, that shouldn't have happened. Well, this is my thing. Would he have done that at uh, Eli Manning's camp? Mm. So why do we do that to our own is mm. my question. As Jules mentioned, you are at Cam Newton's camp. Cam Newton is going to UCU play. You are going to learn something from him. Right. You take that opportunity to try to make a moment where you can clout chase for the internet. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. That is the part right there, Jules, that pisses me off with this generation. And I talk a lot about the fact that I do mentoring with the students and things like that. And you see that kind of stuff happening when we're working with the kids, where you're speaking to them and under their breath, they're like, yes, they got something slick to say. But see, I'm with Jules in the sense that 
I challenge people. So I had a situation that I'll just bring up real quick where I'm saying something and the kid's mocking what I'm saying. But he didn't even know who he was even dealing with. But he learned at the, at the end of that interaction between me and him. He learned real quick that just because you see this suit, just because you see this certain tie, mm-hmm. I am Southside. <laughs> Go and ahead, he Fred. saw Southside. Go ahead, Fred. You don't know the road and the path that somebody came when you see them telling you about what they could do to be great and to be better. So my parallel here in this situation with Cam and his kid, Joseph Owens, is you want to get to where this kid, where Cam Newton is in life. Cam Newton is a fucking MVP. He's played mm-hmm. the Super Bowl. And mm-hmm. as he mentioned, he's rich. You're in his camp, I'm assuming, Joseph, because you want to be successful in life. So my parallel with my situation is this kid who thinks that he's being funny mocking me. Well, guess what, kid? Where do you live? Where are you trying to get to in life? Because I'm there. I'm taking time out of my schedule to be here because I love you. And I don't even know you, but I love you because you're me. When I'm out there speaking to these kids, I see me. I see Jules. I see all of the people that we came up with. And I want them to be in a position where they can do the things that we're doing today. Mm-hmm. But this generation, until they come across somebody like a Cam Newton that can teach a kid, hey, man, this ain't the way. Because I saw a separate video, Jules, where Cam tried to talk to the kid and went up to the kid and said, hey, uh, how did your team do today? How did you play? And you know what the answer to that question was? The kid played like shit in the camp and his team was one and two. So you got the time to be coming at Cam Newton saying that he's a free agent and he's ass, but you play like ass in the camp. And what this kid response to Cam Newton was, oh, just check me out on YouTube. No, motherfucker. It ain't no check you out on YouTube. He was there at that camp. So if you had all that energy to tell him what he ain't, then how come you didn't go out there in the field and show people what you were about? He didn't do it. So it's real easy to come at somebody and heckle them and talk shit to them. But then he learned real quick during that camp, hey, there's a lot of shit that I need to learn. I thought that this was a missed opportunity for this kid because Instead of him trying to be a clown and trying to look cool in front of his friends, he should have soaked in that knowledge. You're around greatness. And you jeopardized your future because now everybody in the world knows your name and it's not for the right reason. Mm -hmm. These college coaches are seeing what you did and how you disrespect Cam Newton. So you want to risk jeopardizing your future career over some clout, wanting to look cool on TikTok. That's the problem. These kids want this 15 minutes of fame so bad. And it's not a good look, Jules. It's not a good look. I see it when I'm out there doing the mentor stuff. They got their phones out. They want to record everything. And guess what? I probably went viral when I went after that kid that that had so much energy for me. But I'll tell you one thing. I also took the time to pull that kid to the side after we had our interaction. And I just said, Mm -hmm. hey, you know what? I know we, we, we had a little back and forth there. I don't take any of this personal because I was you at this age. I didn't have the guidance. I didn't have anybody that was teaching me the way. I didn't grow up with a father. I didn't grow up with male influences. So for me growing up, and Jules could tell you guys this, I didn't have the best approach with males. Um, any kind of male was trying to tell me something at that age. I wasn't trying to hear it. So I had to sit down with this kid and I understood. It wasn't me. It's his circumstances. And that's the thing that a lot of times people... 
don't realize with these kids, a lot of these kids are broken. A lot of them don't have direction. And that's why in situations like this with Cam Newton, I agree with Jules in the sense that he could, he should have kicked them out of the camp. But I also think that it was a greater lesson here. And I think that Cam should have taken an opportunity instead of telling the kid that he was rich. I think he should have maybe said to the kid, well, guess what? You should hope one day that you're a free agent in 20 years because I've had a great life. Yeah. I, I feel you, man. Especially the cameras. I get cameras shoved in my face every day at work. I'm sure. <laughs> every day at work. And it's by, you know, you know, the kids at that age and adults and everybody just want to feel me. But that's the age we're in right now, man. And I'm like you. I don't get it, especially in this situation, especially in this situation. And he's had a father, which I believe because he asks where, where his father at. He wants yeah, father. his father was uh, there. He was there. Mm-hmm. So you talking about the life lessons, man. This is this is one of them for this kid, man. What he did, and I'm going to pick back what you said was not a good look. And he might have a hard time in the future in this sport. You know what? I know a lot of people seen it. Let's learn from this and what, learn what not to do. You know, there's, there's scriptures saying, keep your mouth closed, but your ears open. <laughs> it's for a reason. You know, listen here and observe. And, you know, don't be a fool, man. That's all it was. He was just being a fool. Yep. And I agree with you 100%, man. Stay humble. If there's any kids out here that are that are listening to this show, or if you come across it because you, you're sitting here listening to it with your, your 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 pops and your moms, don't be like this kid in this video. Don't miss your opportunity, your chance to learn something from someone that's been at the highest level. If whatever it is, whether it's at a sport or in a in a professional endeavor, if you have an opportunity to learn from someone that's doing things at high levels, listen. Humble yourself enough to listen. Because people taking time out of their and their lives, away from their family, away from whatever they have to show love to you, they don't deserve to be treated in the way that Cam was treated in that situation. No. Mm-mm. He deserved more than that. He deserved more than that. Especially in a situation in a society where we want to know where our Black leaders at, our role right. models. Right. So, yeah, he deserved more than that. He deserved your undivided attention. And you want to learn from him because he's the best. You want to get where he's at. Right. I mean, it's simple. You know, it's okay. There's time to joke around and play and laugh and all that stuff. But yeah, when you're there and he's there spending his time to give you knowledge from his perspective into you so you can learn to get to where he's at, then, dude, damn it, let's just, hey, we're here to learn and we're here to work. And also have fun. You can get all, you can incorporate all three of those things. And I think the last point that I had on this, because I agree with everything you said right there. The fact that you were that close to somebody that's a legend in the sport, a former MVP, and that's what you decide to do mm-hmm. with that opportunity. You took an opportunity away from another kid that would probably have loved to have been in that same space with Cam that would have probably mm-hmm. pulled him to the side and said, hey, Cam, did you see me play out there? Well, you got any pointers? How can I do this better? That's what the conversation should have been instead of you taking that opportunity to be a fucking fool. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that my, my father would say. Well, lesson learned. <laughs> you know you done messed up you know you messed up look at your boy lesson learn because <laughs> I know like he pops and say. <laughs> hey, man I know he wish he can take that back I know he wish he can take that back and I will give the kid a slight credit he did issue an apology and I think that at mm-hmm. any time in life people are going to make missteps and they're going to make mistakes and especially young kids they're going to make mistakes so mm-hmm. the fact that he humbled himself to issue the apology Great. But I also hope that he learns from this and changes his ways. 
and remembers this situation with Cam and say, man, next time I have a situation in my career that I could be around somebody that can get me to where they are, <laughs> I'm going to probably take advantage of that next time. All right. Dude, exactly. Praise on which. So just for our youth out there, just, just do better. I'm, we're not trying to come down on you guys. We understand the pressures that, that you face during these times, but just do better. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and get, and get off from social medias. <laughs> and he's like, get off my lawn while you're at it. <laughs> yeah, get off my lawn. Hey, man, if I would have had him, like, pass out water or something. Like, hey, man, go give me some water or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but shout out to Cam, because Cam, this is not the only time he's done this kind of stuff. He does a lot of work in the community. He gives back. He likes to definitely help the youth, though. So yeah. Shout out to Cam, and I hope that yeah. he doesn't let this stop him from continuing to impact the kids that really want to learn from them. Mm-hmm. Hey, invite, invite us out, man. I would like to learn how to throw and catch and run and stuff. You you wouldn't mock him. You wouldn't tell him he was ass, right? Oh, hell no. <laughs> hell no. <laughs> man, I wish I was somebody. I wish I was. A, and he going to get picked up, people. Let, let's, let's be honest. Yes, he is. He's going to get picked up. <laughs> he elite and, quarterback. Come on. And man. I'll tell you this. Cam, is he's far from finished. You know, and that's the thing. I oh, think no. a lot of people are counting him out. I wouldn't count out that man. Mm-mm. I mean, he's only 31, I think. Yeah. I mean, and, he's young. And, and I think that people are holding his last season against him. But it was COVID season. And the guy was still coming off of injuries. And New England, that team was fucking awful. Shit. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, he's he out there. all on Cam. No, he's out there throwing the people that probably work guaranteed rate uh, on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> No offense to anybody out there that, that works for Guaranteed Rate. <laughs> Damn. I'm trying to get my point. Yeah. <laughs> the receivers uh, you, you, you understand. Yeah, right. You yeah, understand. Yeah, like that kid Joseph said, y'all, the receivers was ass. <laughs> they were bad. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but no, Cam, he'll be back. He'll be back. Oh, yeah. So before... <laughs> We get into it, man. One last topic that, that I just want to make sure that we delve into with the audience was the uh, the unfortunate situation that happened in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I want to preface this by saying it is perceived as a racially motivated incident. There was a, a white person, Joseph Bossert, who was arrested on charges of two counts of murder for gunning mm-hmm. down three black kids at a gas station. Mm-hmm. And so... Before I get Jules' thoughts on this, I want to just kind of preface this by saying the accounts that we're going to speak on, they come from the surveillance cameras and footage and also the person that worked at the convenience store or the gas station where this incident happened. So apparently there was a verbal confrontation between the three kids and Joseph Bossert. And then later it interrupted. It's a gunfire. So we had two kids, Anderson Reddick and Joshua Cole Cooper, that were killed. They were pronounced dead at the scene by law enforcement. And there was a third kid, Jalen Rice. He's actually still in the hospital. He's fighting for his life. In this situation, this verbal confrontation ended up with Joseph Bossert firing on these kids in their car. The surveillance video that I saw that was online on this whole thing showed them basically arguing with the guy, showing this guy kind of going up to their vehicle or or trying to, like, make contact with the vehicle 
and then he leaves. And then a couple moments later, they say he comes back to their vehicle and then fires on them. They try to leave the scene, but they end up later crashing the vehicle and because they were in really bad mm-hmm. shape. And so, Jules, I wanted to get your thoughts on this situation, obviously, as a law enforcement uh, professional, but it also, too, just on this situation on its uh, surface. All I can do is just shake my head and just, man, people, where are we at, man? Unfortunately, in my line of work, I kind of see this stuff uh, every month. Hell, in the summer, it'd be every weekend. My thoughts and prayers go out to these people's families. You know, we all get into verbal altercation sometimes, and it shouldn't have to end in gunfire. If it's racially motivated or if dude was on some stuff or he just had a bad day, it's still, at the end of the day, it's it's messed up for everybody. Two families then lost uh, loved ones. Uh, the third one's still clinging on. He's fighting for his life. Mm-hmm. So his family is prayerful and, and destruct and stuff. And then and then Joseph is going to prison for the rest of his life. He might get the chair. I don't know if he didn't have the death penalty, but I mean, this was premeditated. He drove away and came back. So he drove away, probably picked something up and came back or had it in his car, you know, wherever the case may be. He left. He should have kept going. Yep. But he came back, according to the, the report, walked up to this car and started shooting, killing both of them, injuring the jailer. And what, all for what? An argument. All for what? I, right. Jules, you brought up an excellent point in the fact that we're going to disagree. We're mm-hmm. not going to see eye to eye. We're not going to like somebody. But guess what? Just because you cut me off in traffic, just because you almost hit me because I'm trying to go across the crosswalk, I'm not going to light you up. <laughs> I'm just going to chalk it up like, hey, this person's an asshole, and I'm going to keep it moving. <laughs> Dude, right, exactly. Dude, why are we, why are we at this shooting... Uh, this where we have to go and shoot and kill somebody over a disagreement. I do not know it. Only God can answer this damn question because it's frustrating because I see this stuff on a daily basis and I do not understand for what we have words. It's okay. It doesn't hurt. You call me a cocksucker and I'll call you a son bitch. Who cares? And we keep going. <laughs> Excuse the language, but this is how we handle it. I see this more often than ever. Is this how we handle this? Is this society now? Where we can't get into a debate, a disagreement without ending into some in casualty. Right, right. I don't, I don't, I do not get it. It's frustrating. And I don't get it. And people, we can do a goddamn a lot better because we're better than this. We I, really read, I read this story here. Oh my God, 19 years old, both yep. of them. Yeah. They ain't even scratched the surface yet. And he's cut and they cut down for what? Joseph for what? Yeah, for some bullshit. And one of them, Anderson, he was a father. He had two kids. So this is now another situation where kids are now going to grow up without a father from being gunned down. For what? I know I said earlier that it could be perceived as a hate crime. Damn it. I'm just going to call it what it is. What else would it be? Why would this guy do what he did? It had to have some sort of racial bias or motivation towards it. I talk about this a lot on this show, but it's unfortunate that these parents especially of African-American kids, have to continue to share their grief with the world to get people to understand and care about the situations that are happening in our inner cities. This is a senseless act of violence that should not have happened. And like Jules said, these are kids whose lives were cut short. We don't even know what potential these kids would have had in this world, but they're no longer here. This is just just terrible. This is terrible. And like I say, our hearts goes out to the, to the family of these victims. I hate reading this. I hate seeing this. I hate 
living this and stuff. I don't know what to say, man. It's this this just it's upsetting. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I would just say, I'm gonna say the same thing that I always say when these situations happen, Jules. Charges are one thing, conviction is another thing. I want to see this mm-hmm. individual actually be convicted of this crime. Oh, so yeah. for the families, there's no justice until that happens. And everything needs to be transparent with the investigation. I just really, really hope as a country and as a world that we can learn to be get better with one another. That no matter mm-hmm. what your political opinions are, whatever your life convictions are, whatever that may be, that we learn to look at the other person to the left and the right of us and say, you know what? Your life means something. I'm not going to just snuff you out for no reason. More people need to have that type of thought process out here in this world because too many people are cowards that can pull a trigger. Any fucking fool can pull a fucking trigger of a gun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A bigger man can walk away from a conflict knowing their value and knowing who they are. And I've walked away from many of them. And I'll tell you one thing. In the time, it burns you up because you probably feel like, man, I should have did such and such and such. But guess what? You live to fight another day. (laughs) Dude, that's, that's it right there. I tell a lot of people out in the streets, you don't have to always get into confrontation with people, whatever the case may be. An old partner of mine told me, it's like swinging at air. Somebody keep talking to you, you don't have no feedback, no rebuttal, they just keep talking and swinging. They're going to die out. They're going to get tired. They're going to, all right, this, this ain't doing nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gone. I mean, just walk away. And dude was gone. He yeah, left yeah. and came back. Dude, he's getting charged. He's getting yeah, he, convicted. Yeah, he got charged. I mean, he's yeah, getting, yeah, but he, yeah, he's yeah, getting but convicted. You say he's going to get convicted, yeah. He's wow. getting convicted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. You got the, the surveillance. You got witnesses. I mean, you got the gun and everything. They end up getting them out and stuff. I mean, recovered uh, weapons and stuff. So he's getting convicted. That, what if he getting a death penalty or, or life sentence is the question. Right. <laughs> yep. But to your point, man, it was premeditated. Didn't have to happen. We got to do better. So mm-hmm. just like how we said earlier with this generation of kids that they need to do better, shit, we all need to do better. Shit, now that I think about it. <laughs> You're absolutely right, man. We... <laughs> hey, man, like we said before, man, just start with the person in the mirror, man. That's right. And go from there. <laughs> well, audience, this episode, we're going to pull back the curtain on the legacy of Henrietta Lacks. So for anyone that's not familiar with her story, this story here has so many levels to it. And Jules and I, man, we man, we were so excited to share her story uh, with, with our listeners here. She was actually born Loretta Pleasant. But her family is kind of uncertain or how or when her name changed to Henrietta. So minor details there. But mm-hmm. she was four years old when her mother passed away. Now, during these times, a lot of times for African-Americans, access to quality health care just wasn't there. So her mother actually died giving birth. Her father basically had 10 kids that he was left to provide for when his wife passed Ooh. away. Right? So you can imagine wow. that. And you know, we had Julius Dorsey on this show and he was talking about how he has six kids and I'm sitting up here like, good Lord, y'all ain't coming over here for no dinner. <laughs> Shit. Boy, they eat y'all the house at home, boy. Bruh, right? You like, you back in the refrigerator again? What the hell you doing? <laughs> Or go ahead and sit out of color or something. But anyway. <laughs> but so basically, 10 kids that he had to provide for. So obviously, you know, during those times in the 20s, that wasn't going to be easy for him to do it by himself. So 
what he ended up doing was moving his family to a small town in Virginia. The 10 kids were dispersed amongst relatives. So Henrietta ended up with her grandfather. So she lived in, in a cabin, and this cabin actually used to be slave quarters. So they lived on like a, a plantation. Mm-hmm. And she shared a room with her first cousin. This kind of just kind of paints the picture of her background. She basically grew up in poverty. She grew up farming tobacco. That was basically what their family did. And that was how they made their money. Henrietta loved to cook. When I was doing research, they said the spaghetti was one of her favorite dishes to cook up for her family, Mm, right? They said that she loved the dance. And they said most of the time when you saw her, she had one of her children in her arms. She had five kids in her life. And they said she was stylish. When I saw some of the pictures of her online, I was like, yeah, man, this lady jazzy. She has a nice little outfits and dresses on. And it just, when you, when you think back to these times, and with Jules and I talk about this a lot, we were a proud, we we're a proud people. When I look back on some of those times looking at her with all her, her family and her children, she was a good mother. Being a mother is actually one of the things that could have probably ended up taking her life. So what Jules and I are going to do with this story now is explain to you why Henrietta Lacks is going to go down as one of the more memorable people in medicine. I mentioned that she's a mother of five. After she gave birth to her fifth kid, Henrietta had a severe hemorrhage. Her primary care physician thought that she had syphilis. The test came back negative, and then she was later referred to go to Johns Hopkins. Now, for our audience, I mentioned that during these times, African-Americans didn't have access to quality health care. John Hopkins was actually one of the only hospitals during the times that would treat African-American patients. So I think that's something that's very notable, and I think that that's mm-hmm. something that people should definitely take, take heed of. But for, for, for free, too. For free, exactly. For free. Mm-hmm. So when she had that time when she went to John Hopkins... She complained about the bleeding and the things that she was dealing with. And upon that examination, audience, the doctor discovered a large tumor on her cervix. So the medical records at the time show that Ms. Lacks started to undergo treatments for her cervical cancer. Because during those times, that was the best medical treatment available for that type of disease. Now, this is where the story starts to kind of turn a little bit. The surgeon that was on duty at the time was preparing to give her her treatment. And while she was basically unconscious in the examination room, this surgeon cut out two dime-sized chunks from Ms. Lax's cervix. And he sent that over to a scientist. And now this scientist, Dr. George Gay, he was studying how to grow cells in a lab outside of a Organism, So basically outside of a body or whatever the case may be. So one thing that I want to touch on with the audience before I turn this over for Jules to go into this, this was done without her consent. The part about this story that gets really, really interesting is the cells that they removed from her body, they saw that normally cells like this would die. Miss Lack cells doubled every 20 to 24 hours. So in essence, she had immortal cells. But if they never would have cut this stuff out of her body, 
they would have never known that. But then also I want the audience to think about the fact that they did this while she was unconscious. So Jules, I'm going to let you hit this part. I looked at the situation and said, well, wow, this woman's story with her sales is historic, but the circumstances around it are so appalling to me. George Gay, as you said, the head doctor had, he's a tissue culture research, had discovered this, this he's trying to do research on tissue and stuff and had been trying to grow malignant cells outside the body for nearly three decades, you know, hoping to determine that, you know, he, how he can find the reason for cancer and how to, how to cure it. Like you said, Perez, now most cells die quickly. They wouldn't, they wouldn't stay. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't live. If they did live, it, it wouldn't grow. Right. So that's why Henrietta's cells was called immortal because them things there not only grew, <laughs> they grew, they described it on the, uh, the research, three times as wide as the equator. Now, me, I don't know how long, the, how big the equator is, but if it's three times that size, my God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying so that was the the doctor's answer to his prayers right there her cells grew unlike anything other before so I just began sending these cells out he sent these things out to other doctors yep. other scientists who was interested in using it for cancer research a couple spots Texas India New York Amsterdam a- anywhere you know that the doctors could find them useful while the doctor was celebrating in Rala, of course she succumbed to cancer. So her hella cells, that's what they call it. The first two initials of her first name and the first two initials of her last name. And then the lacks, hella cells. They've been brought and sold, you know, researchers for decades. But all along right there, the family have no knowledge. Remember, we said earlier in the pot, they didn't give any consent. Now, can you say at the time where there was nothing in writing, but still, it's this person's body. And if she couldn't give the consent, there'd go her husband. One thing that I wanted to touch on real quick that you brought up, you talked about the hella cell, as they called it. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I saw in the research that I thought was really interesting and also troubling at the same time is they actually used the name Helen Lane. So H-E-L-A. That was originally used to hide the true identity right. of Henrietta. Right. Good and they point. did that because they didn't have her consent. So that part right there, when I saw that was, wow. So you guys take the sales from her, which, and I don't want to take away from the significance of how important her sales have been in, in our history, because they use these sales to, they used it in the, in the treatment against uh, uh, polio, right? They're even using it in today's time for COVID. So her sales have really basically been like a modern piece of medicine. But you just still have to look at this situation that it was done without her family's consent. Her -hmm. family didn't profit off of any of this this stuff. And let's look at just bare bones. In my research, I saw where one of Henrietta's children who was in a uh, mental institution because, right. you know, she she was not doing so well with her, her life. They were saying that her kid was having all types of tests that were performed on her without her consent. They said that they would stick these electrodes in the kid's head because they were trying to, like, test and monitor her because, obviously, everybody knew 
that the mother had these cells. They were trying to figure out, well, what else? What are, what about the kids? What about the people that came after her? And now you right. have to think about how cruel that is. That somebody that is not even mentally there yet, that's not even mentally there, rather, and they're conducting mm-hmm. studies on this person without their knowledge and consent. I mean, that is cruel in itself. Also, Jules, I saw that in the 70s, they said that there was research being done on other of her kids. And these people in the Lax family thought they were being tested for diseases and being treated for them. But however, that wasn't even the case. These scientists were just using them in experiments and research type of things. So when you look at the larger story of how Ms. Lax's cells were removed from her body without her consent, Mm-hmm. You also right. can look at how the family was also used again and again in research without their consent. Now, imagine how you would feel as a family and the type of paranoia that you would have when you're being used, your mother was being used. You just don't have trust. And that's why this situation with Henrietta is so powerful. It's such a powerful story because in one instance, you can look at her and say, she's the mother of modern medicine. But then it also puts a mm-hmm. black eye on science and how they go about getting the things that they use in their research. So I just wanted to just paint on that real quick, just about the fact that we celebrate her for what her sales have done. But then it also opens a bigger window into how unethical the situation was and how they came to even get the sales in the first place. Dude, like, because, you know, as you talk, as you spoke about the Lax family, it was kept in the dark about all this. Over 50 and until 73, and 50 years after her death, scientists asked for these samples upon finding him and the hello cells had contamination, had contaminated other samples. But Lax nor her, you know, family granted John Hopkins those positions to harvest these cells. And, you know, they use it for cloning, for cloning too. So, you know, yeah. to use her family, Elsie, as your, the daughter, as you, as you said, because she was born with this mental condition to try to, since the mother had these immortal cells, the other family should have them too. And not to gain to uh, profit from, you know, not to include them on there is, is definitely messed up, man. I would just say the situation that the family had, they had also a lot of questions because as you mentioned, they never even knew that these cells were taken out of their mother's body. They didn't even know that these cells were even being used in any sort of research. The family was, like you said, they were kept in the dark. Well, I, re- I read some research where one of the daughters had questions about what even happened to her mother, and the scientists just gave her a manual or a book, and she couldn't even read. All she was trying to understand was what was going on with her mom and her cells, and the stuff that she was hearing from the scientists scared the hell out of her. So she's sitting mm-hmm. up here saying, well, what are they doing? They're sending stuff up to the moon, injecting, you know, people yeah, right. with chemicals. Like, they didn't know what the hell was going on. And if you think about that, it sounds like one of the bad sci-fi movies, you know? Dude, you ain't kidding. Right, yeah, right. You're talking about, yeah, cloning and injecting people and then and using a test after an uh, atomic bomb was detonated. Like, my God, like, <laughs> without this woman's sales, wh- where would we be at? Medically. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to that point, that's a, a great damn point because there's been a lot of stuff that, that people have been able to do with these sales. Mm-hmm. Man, that, there's so much with this story that just, that's just bothered me, Jules. Mm-hmm. But 
I looked at it and I said, okay, so we have these sales. They haven't seen anything like this before in, in their lives, right? These scientists were like stumbled upon gold. Uh-huh. And they're probably thinking in their minds, wow, well, we need to understand more about how this stuff works. How is it that these things are living the way that they live outside of the body? How are these things replicating so much? How, how do they continue to survive, right? So there's all these things that the scientists are looking at because these things are surviving and reproducing at astronomical numbers. Now, Jules brought up the fact that the family didn't find out till almost 50 years later. I want our audience to think about the fact that these hella cells, as he basically told you guys about, have lived more than twice as long outside of Henrietta's body than inside them. I just want you guys to think about that. Now, she passed away at the age of, was it 31, Jules? Yeah, 31, right. 31 years old. Now, you think about that now. Twice as long, her cells have lived outside of her body. You wow. know, and, and the thing about it is, her cells became the foundation of a multi-billion dollar industry. Now, I want you to you think about that. These cells were taken from her body without her consent. Mm-hmm. These cells have been shared, like Jules mentioned, with other scientists hospitals, schools, all over the place. These cells are being used to treat all types of diseases, afflictions, and you name it, right? A multi-billion dollar industry. The family had no knowledge that this stuff was even being used. They were profiting off of Henrietta and their family for all these years. They couldn't even give this woman the credit for the cells even belonging to her. They changed the name to that Helen Lane. That, to me, just was the part that really disgusted me when I started thinking about this and thinking, what other things in science have they done that we don't know about to people? Because you know what's going on. Of course. As you said, you know what's going on after Henrietta's uh, treatment. And when they even took the cells out of her body back in the 50s, they had no idea what her, her what any of this stuff was going to mean today. But now you think about the advancements in medicine due to her, her sales. Now, I wonder, what are we going to learn 20 years from now about the stuff that they have on her sales and her history? You know, you never know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, there are many universities and colleges and public recognizing Reddit last contribution to the research through the, on- the honorary mentions and acknowledgments in scientific papers. But steady yet, and receive restitution from John Hopkins. So John Hopkins still didn't really, you know, let's, let's be honest, pay the family of what they earn, what they're due. Because without this lady here, without God putting this lady in this earth, and it was her purpose right there. So many people, so many people can can live, you know, they, they just owe their due. And there's nothing wrong for, for John Hopkins to say, hey, listen, for the mistake or, you know, as we'll call it such. So for the mistake, here's what your family is due. This is yours that is due right here. And acknowledge that, you know, we was wrong. And and to your point, when they started to give credit, it wasn't because they did that to do the right thing. They did that because they got pressure. (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah. Let's be right. Because honestly, if, if, if there wasn't coming out and people speaking out against this, they would... Hell, we probably wouldn't even have know, never knew anything about it. Mm-hmm. One of the also things you got to think about, right? So after all these decades of uh, of Henrietta's death, 
doctors and scientists, when they kept sharing this stuff, mm-hmm. they kept failing to ask the family for consent. You got to think about it. Henrietta's name was being publicly shared. Her medical records were basically given out to everybody, including the media. But then all her type of personal DNA and, and just all the things that about you as a human that matter to you, all of this stuff was just freely just distributed out there. And you have to think about how intrusive that is. You know? I'd be mad because they broke uh, protocol. That's mm-hmm. against HIPAA law. It was a violation. Yep. So how was they able to get away with this? I mean, you also play off the ignorance on people. I mean, some, if you just don't know, you just don't know. And then something in the dark, you, you won't know about it anyway. Also, you got to think about for the family standpoint. So here they are hearing later, all these years later, that their mother's mm-hmm. sales are so important to science and made all of this type of medical advancements possible. But they don't even have access to any of this stuff because they can't even afford it. No. What? Now, think about that. Their mother is responsible for all these advances in the medicine field. And they can't even get the stuff to even help them with simple afflictions Mm-mm. that they have. Mm-mm. And also hearing that, yeah, their her family isn't doing well anyway, as far as financially. Mm-hmm. Right. These people here should be put on place on, on pedestal. <laughs> they should be sitting on a hill here. Because, mm-hmm. well, like we said in this in this podcast here, without her mother's, without their mother's sale. Hell, the whole damn world. Mm-hmm. Where would we be at is the question. Because these sales right here, these immortal sales, hella sales, is, is a cause for a lot of cures and, and vaccines and, and cloning and, and everything. You name it. Where would we be at as a society? Yeah. I think that they need to clean up a lot of what they do with consent. Because I think scientists or people that, that do these studies, they need to be more upfront with people. And I think that that this episode here, we wanted to talk about Henrietta's story, but we also wanted to kind of delve into kind of how science can be a little unethical, right? (laughs) And I think that they need to be more transparent in what's going on and tell people what's actually happening to them. What are you actually doing to me? What is this study that you're doing? What is this treatment going to be, right? Right. And I feel that we're getting at it because we're living in the times where we, you know, with this pandemic and this vaccine that mm-hmm. they get out here, a lot of people are questioning, hey, what's in this thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. People want to know specifics. Right. With Henrietta's situation, while it was a turning point, some countries now have determined and, and developed specific rules and laws around consent and privacy to protect patients. And that didn't happen for Henrietta, but that's a testament to the ways that she helped transform modern medicine because her story mm-hmm. and what happened with her and her family has now helped how people are kind of looking at some of these things. Because like you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of your information is out there that shouldn't be because of, you know, HIPAA and, and things of that nature. So that opportunity was not afforded to Miss Lax, but there's people down the road in the future that will have you know, they'll be able to benefit from the, the life that she wasn't able to, to benefit from or the privilege that she wasn't exactly. able to have. Right, exactly, exactly. So we got a few things. Well, we got a few things with her story, as you said, Perez. Her sales, her giving consent, if she's incapacitated, well, you got next in line, you have a husband or a family member. Now, that's thing right there. Now, I go through that too, where if there's just something happened on, on the field, traffic accident or whatever the case may be, or somebody pass, 
well, we have to talk to the next person in charge, next person lying, a husband, a parent, or whatever the case may be. And we have to talk to that person, get that person's consent. Same thing. So in this store, we got we, we got consent. And we got unethical type practices. Now, did they stumble across something, you know, unethically, but it came out to pan out? It's, it, it, all this is just, just, just like a godsend because that was she was here for. If in the long way, if you look back at this, her sales, she was placed in this world to save billions. That's what her sales would did. But you must respect that person, that person's family. And the broader picture is that hospital, John Hopkins, should have asked and should have uh, compensate this family for the life and sacrifice she had brought for this work. And to your point, also the, the surgeon that shared that with the Dr. Gay, because mm-hmm. all of these people, yes. when you look at it, they all were involved in this because all none of them all benefited. Yeah. And they all benefited and not the family. And none of them got any sort of permission to do what they did. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that I wondered when I, when I was like going back through this, Jules, and I said, damn, like, how would I feel if this happened to one of, uh, one of my family members? And I thought about it and I said, first, I would want to celebrate her life and the legacy because I think that's important. Because as you mentioned, okay. Jules, her life had a purpose. I mean, obviously she died young, but her name mm-hmm. is going to live on, you know, forever. Yes, sir. But I would want scientists to acknowledge that these hella cells, as they call it, came from an African-American woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> that had a family, but she had her own story. And that's why on the show earlier, I wanted to let people know, listen. This is a woman that was stylish. She liked being around her family. She always had one of her kids Mm -hmm. with her. There's more to the story than just what was taken out of her body. She was a human being, Mm -hmm. and she had a family that loved her. So there's just so much more to the story. Yes, sir. I just think that that would have been a very fitting tribute to actually give her that credit. And also, you think about it. She died of cancer. Now, you think about what these sales have probably been able to do to save other people that have had cancer in over the years, right? There's just so much in this story where in one instance, you're like, man, this is a brilliant story. But in the next instance, you're like, bro, what the hell happened here? They like basically stole stuff out of this woman's body. Right. Because it was stage one. Now, I don't know if they could have done a hysterectomy. Because let's be honest, back then, they don't have the modern medicine and the science that we have now. Mm-hmm. They had two, they they give her radiation, but they put that radiation where her cervix is at. And it just ate the inside of her up. And mm-hmm. she was in so much pain, even morphine couldn't help. As you said, Prez, the end of it is like, wow, even though you do a research here for, for cancer, and this is what she, she passed of, like, okay, well, <laughs> well what happened? Mm-hmm. Mm. So it just, it paints a lot of a lot of pictures. And I mean, to be honest, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Jules, we didn't have access during those times as, as African-Americans to the tip-top type of uh, medicine and, and, right. and doctors and, and things of that nature. So it just goes to show even more so that there's been so many contributions that people of color have made in this country. And a story like Henrietta Lacks isn't one that's commonly talked about. And that's why I was really happy that right. we did this episode, because her name needs to be spoken out a little bit more than it has in history. Because if you had 
over a hundred years ago, this woman died, had these cells removed, and what these cells have done for the medicine world, and her name mm-hmm. isn't like a common household name, that to the family is a slap in the face. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I second. I agree. Yes, sir. A slap in the face of them and a big shame and a point to medicine and the people who's in charge of it. Mm-hmm. That's right. This, this, this woman here should be, right, it should be a statue of her somewhere. <laughs> and one last point that I wanted to make before we get out of here was there was a foundation that was actually set up. And what this foundation did is it awarded grants to descendants of Henrietta Lacks. Okay. And to family members of others whose bodies have been used without consent for research. Mm-hmm. So as we mentioned, the family wasn't compensated for this stuff. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry now. And this family, they're not billionaires. <laughs> you know? Right, right. <laughs> but you know, it's funny, cause, man, because, you know, John Hopkins said, you know, they like to tell you, well, we didn't receive any compensation. We didn't, we didn't benefit from this. But they did. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, that's what I'm saying. They did. But there's where they were saying, well, we didn't. Well, because you know how they did? Because their okay. name, every time you talk about her story, you talk about John Hopkins and how that was the hospital right. where she was treated. So that name is brought up just along with Henrietta's name. Mm-hmm. So, and with the Hella cells. So they mm-hmm. compensate from that because that's now worldwide attention to this situation. And it's all tied back to John Hopkins. Right. So they, they benefit so too. They <laughs> yeah, of course they did. I was just finding, I find that funny when I read, when I was doing uh-huh. research, they're talking about they didn't benefit from it. I'm like, what are you talking about? A yeah. multi-billion dollar <laughs> thing you got here? Uh-huh. You benefit? Okay. I tell that to it's another another fool. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Don't tell me that." <laughs> right. So, yeah, man, I just, I just, I'm, I'm so happy and, and and proud of the fact that she is going to be remembered in history for herself. But I also just think that when we look at science, we got to do better to protect people. Right. Mm-hmm. There was one story, Jules, that I had saw where there was a doctor that was like basically doing experiments on people with jails and, and prisons and stuff. And I'm like, what kind of shit is this? Like, this was stuff that was going on during those times when they were injecting these hella cells into people to see if they were formed tumors. So it was almost like they were doing like stuff that like, well, these people don't matter. Let's give them a tumor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and man. So the thing about it is, though, is in that situation, some of the doctors that were involved in that study, and this was back in like the probably the the, the late 60s, they said, hey, you know okay. what? We're not comfortable doing this to people without their consent. Because okay, these people good. that they were injecting these the stuff in back then, they had no idea what mm-hmm. they were even being injected with. Well, what what comes to mind is the Tuskegee experiment. That's right. That's what comes to mind right there, where where they was purposely injecting uh, people in Tuskegee with syphilis. Yep. So you have that, you have uh, the prison, what you, what you was talking about, press, and how many others? Yep. As, as used as guinea pigs or lab rags. Why? Because you felt that their lives don't matter. It was a good place for you. Anybody who was doing that treatment, it was a good place for you. It was a good one. And going back to Jules' point about the, the Tuskegee uh, syphilis study, this mm-hmm. went on for 40 years where they were basically giving these individuals this disease. Who were the people? They were impoverished sharecroppers in Alabama, all Mm -hmm. African-American. Hello. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, right. So, so that's what we all get in common. Like I said, boy. <laughs> so, so just imagine how unethical that was. So that was another thing that we wanted to just make sure in this episode that we painted the picture of how science has just been another area that has failed the African-American community. Mm-hmm. Because that Tuskegee study was shameful and it was fucking racist as hell. And I think more people need to speak out about that situation as well. And I think we're going to do a future episode on it because that is something that people need to talk about more. Yes, sir. That'd be a good story right there. Yeah, man. But no, Henrietta Lacks, man, she's always going to be the the mother of modern medicine. The family, I think over the years, I think the family has started to get more compensation for Mm -hmm. the work because of, you know, the sales and everything like that. So we only just can hope that situations like this just don't happen in the future and that science and research work together better to get consent for people, right? We, we want you to do your research. We want you to do your studies, but just do it the right way. That's all. Yeah, that's all. What well, I mean, is that hard to ask? <laughs> that is all. But Jules, man, this is another good episode. Audience, this is our last uh, a piece of Black history content for the month. So we wanted to just definitely end this month by giving you guys some really good content and touch on a story that you may not have probably even been familiar with. But we want you guys to help make Henrietta's name relevant. So tell, mm-hmm. share her story. Research this story and talk about it with people that you know, because this story has so many levels and layers to it. But this was a good one for us to do. And we wanted to share it with you guys here today. Yes, sir. Well, Jules, man, dope ass episode again, brother. And we are out. Jules, go on to hit him with that curtain call, bruh. All right. This curtain call goes out to Rebecca Skloot. She is an American science writer and the author of The Immortal Life of Henry Randall Lacks which was made into an Emmy-nominated HBO film that starred Oprah Renfrew. Skloot is also the founder and president of the Henrietta Lacks Foundation that helps individuals who have made important contributions to scientific research without personal benefiting from those contributions, particularly those used in research without their knowledge or consent. Now, she helped individuals who have made important contributions to scientific research without personally benefiting from those contributions particularly those used in research without their knowledge or consent. Ms. Glute, present I am pulling back the curtain podcast family. Appreciate and thank you for your all your hard work. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Deezer, or wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate your continued support of this show. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pull Up At The Curtain Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.